You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. So you may have heard of this guy, um, Abraham. Um, can't believe of all the 260 churches on the Gold Coast, he's decided to visit us this morning. But we really appreciate you being here, Abe. And so if I can call you that, and um, really, really stoked to hear from you. So, Thank you, Steve. And, and Thank you for inviting me here today. Uh, the, the communion we just... It's a remote and harsh and difficult place to live. And today I wanted to talk to you about one of the most difficult times in my life. A time that I faced a burden that I thought I could not bear. I imagine each one of you has had times like this, times where you had a burden that seemed unbearable. Have you ever been in a situation that seemed unbearable? Have you ever been asked to go somewhere or do something that you just thought you could not do, that was too overwhelming? Perhaps even today someone here in the midst is in that situation now where everything seems hopeless and you wonder how are you going to struggle on? I was in a situation like that once too and that's what I'm going to talk about today. It all began one night many years ago when I heard my God Yahweh speak to me in the clear stillness of the night. And when I heard his voice, I knew it was him because he had spoken to me like that before, calling me by my name. Think of that. God knows me by my name. Just little me. Not important and he knows me. In fact, he knows each one of us by our names. Here I am, I said to the voice that called in the night as I looked up at the sky. Seeing those stars reminded me of the promise God had made to me years earlier, when he had promised that one day I would have more descendants than there were stars in the sky. So I was in utter shock when I heard what God asked me to do. Take your son, he said. Take your only son, Isaac who you love, and sacrifice him to me. Just a minute before those words, I was really content. Life was great. And then with just one sentence, my world turned upside down. Yahweh, my God, who I loved and honoured above all else, was asking me to kill my only son. He was asking me to carry a burden that no father should ever have to bear. Sure, the idea of sacrifice was well known in my culture. We take our best, our finest sheep, and rather than trade it for profit or cook it for a party, we take the animal and slaughter it, place it on a fire and offer it up to our God. My best possession, my finest lamb, it's not for me, it's for God. That's the idea of sacrifice, and it's a key way we worship God in my culture. And we know that God responds to this act of worship. He sees what we freely give him. And by this, he knows our hearts. He knows that they're set on him. And he freely forgives us our wrongdoings. It's an unwritten agreement between us and our God. We offer the best lamb we've got. And he graciously blesses us with forgiveness. And it's always an animal that we sacrifice. My God, Yahweh, had only ever asked me to sacrifice an animal before. 
Never a person. It's true that I have heard of some families sacrificing children, but they weren't followers of Yahweh, of my God, the creator of the universe and the God most high. No, these were families that followed cruel, tyrant, bloodthirsty gods like Moloch. But Yahweh, he's different. Everything I had come to know about God in my life was that he was a God of love and of blessings. And yet now, here he was one night, asking me for my son. My only son, Isaac, who I loved. How, how could he be asking this? How? I didn't get a minute sleep that night. I lay awake at night, tormented. I was already a very old man. I'd waited so long to have a son. As a younger man, when I first heard God's call, I believed him when he promised me that I would have a son. But as the years passed and my Sarah got older, it seemed more and more impossible that we would ever have a son. And that was devastating, particularly for Sarah, who didn't really believe God's promise anyway. Because in our culture, having a son and having a family is everything. Continuing our family through children and grandchildren, that's how we find purpose in life. In the end, possessions, wealth, health, they come and they go. But children and family are eternal. So as we both aged through our 50s and entered our 60s and then our 70s and then our 80s, having a son seemed completely beyond reach. But despite our age, God sent a miracle. And Sarah had a son. Our only son, Isaac, was born. And now here he was, a young man, soon ready to leave and have his own family. And God was asking me to sacrifice him, to kill him. How could he do this? How could I do this? And yet I knew I had to do what God had asked. I had failed God once before and I was not going to fail him again. In reality, you see, Isaac wasn't my only son. I had actually fathered an illegitimate son years earlier. And it was because my wife Sarah and I didn't trust God that this happened. We were old. That was our excuse at the time. Sarah was well past the age that she could have children. And so we decided that we needed to take matters into our own hands rather than wait for God to do what he had promised. And so at my wife's instructions... I slept with our servant girl, Hagar. And Hagar got pregnant. And I had a son, Ishmael. But that was never God's promise. And it was never his plan for me and Sarah. He promised that Sarah and I would have a son. And God keeps his promises. And so, like I explained, Sarah gave birth to our son despite her old age. And we were really happy. Except, of course, Ishmael. He was a constant reminder to Sarah of everything that had happened between me and Hagar. And in the end, Sarah forced Hagar to flee and to leave. No, I had failed God before. I had not trusted him. And look where it had led, only to distress and to destruction. I wasn't going to do that again. So early in the morning, I rose up. I called Isaac and some servants and we set off. I told them we were going on a journey to offer a sacrifice, a sacrifice to God, but I didn't tell them anything more. We gathered wood for the fire, and I placed it and loaded it on Isaac's back. 
It was a, a long walk. The wood was heavy. And I still remember Isaac struggling. His arms outstretched as he carried the heavy load. It was a long journey. We were going to a mountain three days away by foot. But my heart was overcome with grief and that journey seemed ten times longer. Every step pierced my heart. But I knew that I needed to obey God. When we reached the mountain, I told the servants to wait. I knew that if they came with me and Isaac, they would have stopped me from doing what I had to do. So Isaac and I climbed the mountain alone. When we reached the top, it was with some excitement that Isaac started to help me build the stones on which we would offer the sacrifice. But he was confused. Where was the sheep, he asked. All I could say was, God will provide. Isaac placed the last stone on the table and I grabbed him. I tied his arms behind his back and lay him down on the stone table. I saw fear in his face. He actually could have fought back. He was bigger and stronger than me by then. But he didn't fight. He trusted me as I trusted God. I'll never forget that heart-stopping moment as I took the knife and raised it above my head. We both closed our eyes and I built up the strength to strike. Suddenly a voice rang out, Stop! I recognised it. It was a message from God. Stop! Don't harm Isaac. I cannot begin to explain the relief I felt with those words. I fell to the ground exhausted. I wasn't going to sacrifice my son. He was safe. I'd always known that God was faithful to me when I was faithful to him. Years before, God had called me to leave my home, to travel to a new land, which I did willingly. And when I arrived in this new land, God had blessed me with prosperity, with victory in battle, and finally with a son. I knew God was faithful, and yet, whilst getting ready to sacrifice Isaac, I was at a loss to know how he was going to be faithful to me in this trial. Was he going to let me sacrifice Isaac and then raise him from the dead? I was exhausted and confused as I was preparing the sacrifice, but I knew I had to trust God. I knew he was going to be faithful to me. With those words, stop, I finally knew God does provide. Because as I lay there exhausted, I looked over to the side and saw a ram, an animal who I could sacrifice, caught up by his horns in the bush. My trust had been rewarded with provision. God had provided the animal that was needed for the sacrifice. Isaac was not needed. In fact, Isaac was never needed. All of this had been a test by God. A test to help me learn more about myself. This test taught me that I can trust God with the things that matter the most. I can even trust him with my ultimate possession, with my son. I'm still learning about God as I try to walk with him. I'll admit there's a lot I don't know about God. 
He's huge. How could we ever know all about him? But even if I don't know a lot about him, I know him. I do know him because he's been with me for so much of my life. I've received his blessing. I've received his comfort. And this I know, when there are difficult times, when we carry a heavy burden, if we hold on to our faith, God will provide for us. He provided for me. He will provide for you. So hold on to that trust in him. Thank you. We're going to um, let Abraham go. He's got lots of things to do, as you can imagine. Um, can we thank Abraham again? And um, I'm just going to read a passage. And um, our actual preacher today is running late, Graham. Um, but I'm sure he'll be in a second. He's going to absolutely be devastated. He missed Abraham. But um, we won't rub it in his face. Um, so to Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Morah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and he took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God has told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there and we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders. While he himself carried the fire and the knife, as the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, we have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? Anyone with kids trying to prepare something or do anything of importance would know that there would be more questions than that, just that one. <laughs> but that's the one he had. He knew something was up. God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you, are tr yet you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh, Yeshua, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use the name as a proverb, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Looks like Graham's arrived, mate. You missed it. I won't tell you who made an appearance, but why don't you come on up and... Um... Yeah, that's right. You've Yeah, the luck of Clark Kent. That's it. Thank you, Graham. 
uh, I wish I had the faith of Abraham. He, he was an amazing man. He's a great role model for us, isn't he? Even though the story I just told happened 4,000 years ago, there's a lot we can learn from it today. A key message in it is in those words, the Lord will provide. God provides for those who hold on to their faith in him. It's a message that's timeless. It's also a message that takes on a special significance in the context of Jesus. It's really fascinating to think about the parallels between the story of Abraham and Isaac and the story of Jesus and us. Both stories involve a sacrifice of a son. Both stories involve provision through substitution. And both stories involve faith that's manifest in action. Starting with the idea of sacrifice. You can't miss it that there's a key theme in the story of Abraham and Isaac and the story of the gospel. In the book of Romans, in the New Testament, we're reminded that God presented Jesus as a sacrifice. Isaac was going to be a sacrifice. Jesus was a sacrifice. In our culture, a religious sacrifice isn't really in our everyday experience. But it was for Abraham. It was in the consciousness of Abraham and his people. For them, sacrifice was intimately related to the idea of forgiveness of sins. That's a need we all have. Every person needs forgiveness. Whether we recognize it or not, we need forgiveness. The book of Romans doesn't just say that Jesus was a sacrifice. It says he was a sacrifice for sin and that all of us have sinned. We all fall short of God's glory. We all need that forgiveness. But the stories aren't just about sacrifice. They're also about sacrifice of a son. The difference, of course, is God was only testing Abraham and never intended him to really sacrifice Isaac. That's a burden that was far too great, and God never wanted Abraham to do that. Yet the story of the gospel, in that story, God the Father commanded his own son to be a sacrifice. God was willing to undergo that pain and agony that he wasn't even willing to put on Abraham or us. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The connection between Abraham and Isaac and Jesus and us goes well beyond simply a sacrifice though because both are stories of substitutionary sacrifice. In Abraham's story, a ram was substituted in place of Isaac. In our story, Jesus is substituted in place of us. This is a story of substitutionary sacrifice. Even hundreds of years before Jesus, in the Old Testament, we see glimpses of this idea of substitutionary sacrifice when the prophet Isaiah wrote these words referring to Jesus. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. God provided relief for Abraham and Isaac through providing a ram. God provides relief to us, forgiveness of our sins, healing to us through Jesus. 
And nothing is needed more than the healing of our souls that we can only receive through forgiveness through Jesus. It's what we need more than anything. So trust God. Receive his promise and his provision of forgiveness and all the other blessings he brings to you because he is the God who is ready to provide and the God who is ready to bless. And as you trust God, trust him like Abraham did. Abraham had faith that God, faith in God to the point he was willing to do whatever God asked of him, even when it seemed impossibly hard. Jesus actually expects no less of us. I remember, Matthew, when you were eight, you learned to toss a coin. You probably can't remember. You spent ages tossing a coin. And you spent quite a while showing me how to do it. And at that time, it's quite a skill, by the way. It's quite good. But at that time, I remember looking at the coin and thinking about the design and seeing one side heads, another side tails. You can't have a coin without two sides. It's just the nature of a coin. It's got to have the heads, it's got to have the tails. That, that makes it a coin. According to the Bible, the blessing of God through faith isn't something that's one-sided either. If one side of the coin is the blessing of God through faith, the other side of the coin is action and deeds of faith. It only makes sense if faith and action go together. God gave up his son for our forgiveness. He heals our hearts. He blesses our lives. He brings us into eternity. How then could we do anything less than completely trust and obey God? And if we completely trust him, surely that's going to be obvious in what we do. Faith in God, trusting in him, it's not only a feeling in the heart or even an idea in the mind. It's actually an action in the hand. Jesus said this, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross daily and follow me. There's an unbreakable connection between faith and action. Perhaps replace the word faith with the word trust and the connection between believing and doing is perhaps clearer. The child will only jump into his father's arms if he trusts the father is going to catch him. That's what it was like for Abraham. He trusted God, so he did what God asked him. Likewise, our actions are going to, throw the, are going to show the reality of our trust. If we trust Jesus, we will follow him wherever he calls us and whatever he asks us to do. Now, Jesus, of course, isn't asking us to give up our sons, but he's asking you to give up a lot. In fact, he's asking you to give up everything, to hand everything over to him. What does everything look like? What is Jesus asking me of my life when he asks of everything? It's a fair question to ask. What's God requiring of your life? Well, I, I think that's probably both a very hard and a very easy to question, question to answer at the same time. So I'm reminded of, of two of my close friends as a teenager. I often remember friends and how they went. One was George, not his real name, and he grew up in a Christian house. The other was Fred, also not his real name, and he came to faith as a teenager. Both George and Fred were avid Bible readers. In fact, one day I remember George telling me he had read the Bible from cover to cover three times. 
That's an amazing feat. That's very hard to do. I've tried to read the Bible from cover to cover, and I get to Leviticus or Numbers or Deuteronomy, and it peters out. But anyway, having read through the Bible three times, George knew what God was calling him to do. He knew God wanted him to love mercy and justice, to live a holy and pure life, to be the master of money and material things rather than to let them master him. God was calling him not to put anything above Jesus and to give up everything he had for Jesus. So George got a job at a casino after finishing high school, which surprised me a little bit. And then he started going out with a girl he really liked. And one day we were playing basketball in my backyard, chatting, and George told me how much, young kids close your ears, how much he loved money and sex. I reminded him as we chatted about what he already knew. God wanted him to pursue holiness in life. He didn't want him to pursue wealth, sex outside marriage, but a holy life. And uh, George told me, Sex felt too good. He liked money too much to worry about God anymore. Fred, on the other hand, was a new Christian. He was also devouring God's word in the Bible, like George. He had a real hunger for it. And he knew what God was calling him to do in life. He knew God was calling him to love mercy and justice, to live a holy and pure life, to not, uh, to not be mastered by money and material things, but rather to master them. He knew God was calling him not to put anything above him, to give everything he had to Jesus. So one day Fred and I were having a cup of Earl Grey tea and chatting. We always drank Earl Grey tea. He liked it. And he told me how he was struggling with his sexuality and also struggling with the idea that he believed God wanted him to give up his well-paid career and go work as a church minister. So we chatted and I reminded Fred of what he already knew that God wanted him to pursue holiness, that he had clearly spoken in the Bible about obedience and what it looked like to live as a Christian. Fred's response was very different than George. Fred kept praying, he kept seeking God, and he took steps of trust and faith. And 20 years later, Fred and I have kept in touch, and he remains very passionate about God. He's inspirational in his approach to life, and um, he looks very different than he did 20 years ago. Don't know where George is up to. But these two stories of Fred and George, though, they, they just show how easy it is for us to know what God wants us to do. It's actually not that hard. We know what God's asking of us. But it's really hard at the same time, isn't it? It's hard to hand everything over to God. Both talked about believing in God, but as far as I can see, only one of them really trusted in God, trusted enough to hand everything over. Fred asked the question of what God required of him in life and he made that choice to follow him. George did the opposite. So the question of what God requires in life from us is both a very easy question and a very hard question. It's easy to know the answer because God's actually spoken clearly to us in his word, in the Bible, and through the encouragement of the community, the church. But although it's easy to know the answer, it's hard to do it. It's hard to put that answer into practice because we like our selfish desires. But I know this. I need to hand everything over to God, even or especially when it's hard. The thoughts in my head, they belong to God. 
The feelings in my heart, they belong to God. The money in my bank account, that belongs to God. The conversations I have, they're for God. The plans for my future, they belong to God. Whatever we're doing, wherever we are, whatever we have, our time, our money, our energy, God wants us to use these to pursue him and to pursue holiness. Whether it's doing laundry at home, typing up letters at work, drinking coffee with a friend, changing nappies in children, caring for the elderly parents at home, making decisions in a boardroom, whatever it is, that's got to be handed over to God. And that's hard work. But that's what real faith involves. But remember, God will provide for those who seek him and hold on to their faith. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously and God will give you everything you need. So can we seek God's kingdom first and hand over everything to him? Can we offer up our lives to him? Is that something that you can do? It's something that Abraham did. And it's what Jesus did for us. Steve, I'd like to invite you up to pray. Let me, uh, let me pray. Thank you, Graham. And I'll invite the, the band up as well. I'll just... Father, thank you so much of that image of the Father that we can jump into your arms. And I just pray this morning as we're challenged by Graham and Abraham and his story that we would just be willing to jump into your arms. And, and not because it's a risky thing. It's actually no risk at all. You are a good good father you'll catch us and you have something even better for us and so i just pray we're challenged by that in jesus name amen